This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Matthew chapter 5. All right, I want to, um, I'm probably going to stay real pretty much in verses 1 through 3, but I want to go ahead and read all of the Beatitudes here. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful um, that we can say because of Your grace uh, that we're free. Free in truth, free in deed, because we're set free by the Son. Lord, uh, help us, enable us to uh, grow in our understanding of that, uh, so that as we, as long as we stay in this world, we uh, will continue to uh, separate from the world, from worldly thinking, from love for the world, and uh, love you more, and have more of a passion for You and for the pursuit of Your kingdom and Your righteousness. Lord, we pray that You would use uh, this passage and the message tonight uh, to that end. Uh, Lord, that it would uh, aid us in understanding and again, make our uh, love for You greater as we learn more and more about You and more about the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, let me go ahead and read the passage first, and then I'll kind of uh, yeah, kind of reiterate what I said this morning about where we're, where we're going here. <clears throat> but uh, Matthew five verses one through twelve. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you, when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, one thing that I wanted to uh, <clears throat> mention this morning and, and neglected to, I think, was what we were seeing, what we are seeing in the ministry of Jesus uh, is a foretaste of what is to come. 
Now, what I mean by that is this. When, when Jesus was here in the flesh, conducting His ministry in the, the stage that we're at now, He's um, in His first uh, tour of Galilee, doing uh, Galilean ministry. When He was here in the flesh, conducting His ministry as the Son of God incarnate in flesh, He was putting on display for all of those who uh, were around Him to see a foretaste of what was to come in the kingdom of heaven. So, for example, uh, we, we spent a lot of time this morning talking about His teaching and preaching. He's, he's teaching and the uh, content of His preaching is or his teaching rather is this. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That is, he's announcing the coming of the kingdom. So he's teaching, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, or uh, I would uh, paraphrase it this way, just uh, because as I said this morning, I think that, that statement, that phrase, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, I think is descriptive of his teaching. So I would paraphrase it this way. He's teaching in their synagogues by preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing. Healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. And then it goes on to say in verse 24 that they brought to Him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and He healed them. Now, the, the message there is that there is nothing that He is not able to correct. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing outside of His rule. So some of the worst things imaginable to, to us, like horrible um, deformities or aggressive, deadly diseases, Jesus is able with a touch or with a word to kill the disease rather than the disease killing the person or to stop it, you know, in its tracks. He's, he's able to do that with a touch or with a word because He's the King. And there's nothing outside of His rule. So it's a foretaste of the way things will be in the eternal state. No sickness, right? No disease, no Sin, like we sang this morning, saved to sin no more. We, we, we long for, look for, eagerly away today when we will sin no more. And that's what is being put on display here. I mean, Jesus is, is virtually one man, virtually wiping out sickness and disease in his, in, well, I started to say in his community, but in every community that he entered. Whoever they brought to him, he healed. So we're getting a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching, you could say it this way, and demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. Now, I said what we're going to do tonight is kind of focus on the characteristics of those who enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's, he's giving I mean, this is not a separate issue. He's, he's, he's giving description now, uh, further detail on what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Again, how the people who, who enter the kingdom of heaven 
uh, will be uh, characterized even even now, and again, what awaits them in the future. So, for example, you have all of these promises. Blessed, and, and it starts and finishes with um, inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you're poor in spirit, here is the idea. If you're poor in spirit now, you will receive the kingdom of heaven, the riches of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. So let's look to the, uh, to the future, present and the future. Um, this, this is another case where, because you might look at some of these things and say, well, you know what, we have some of these blessings now, at least in measure. Well, that's because, as we've mentioned before, the, the kingdom of God itself uh, is in one sense already here. And yet, in another sense, it is not yet. We await, we await the, the, uh, the, full, the fullness of it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's, that's a statement that uh, has, you know, stirred up a lot of curiosity over the, the, uh, the years. But I, but I think uh, it's, it's easily understood in the context of the Scripture. Uh, the, the word earth here is, is just the word land. I mean, this is a covenant promise. In, in the Old Testament, they were promised the land. If you uh, are willing and, o- and obedient, you will inherit the land, the land of Canaan. And, and that's the way all the Jews understand this. When Jesus is standing here on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to Jews, that's the way they're hearing it. When He says, you'll inherit the land, they know exactly what He's talking about. The fulfillment of God's covenant Promise, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled in the kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy in the kingdom. They, they, here, there may be uh, injustice. Here, there may be no mercy. For example, we, we've all heard stories of Christian martyrs. They, they give their lives willingly to the service of the Lord, and they are abused, persecuted, and just like Jesus, ultimately, many times put to death. So they may not receive mercy from the hand of men, but they will receive mercy from the hand of God in the kingdom, and that's the promise here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. John said, doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, this is, this is one of those cases where, uh, again, the, the already and not yet factor comes in. Anybody that's uh, born again is a son of God, and yet... Again, we don't yet experience the fullness of it because we still struggle with sin here in this world. But we have this promise that there's coming a day, all things will be made right, and we will receive the fullness of the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There he says it again plainly. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You may be persecuted here, but if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake here, you'll receive the kingdom there, the fullness of the kingdom. And then, verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? 
For great is your reward in heaven. He sets the kingdom of God before us. He he demonstrates it with His uh, miracles, his, His healing, with His teaching, authoritative, um, grace-filled teaching. And with all of these promises, He sets before us the kingdom of God, saying, here's what is in store for the children of the kingdom. So, whatever happens in this world, rejoice and be exceeding glad, because it's temporary. And your reward in heaven is great. So, we have to be like uh, Moses. Hebrews 11. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather, to, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And he did that, the writer of Hebrews says, because he looked to the reward. He had, he had the reward in view. The promise of being with the Lord in His kingdom Forever and ever. Now, um, these things that the Lord mentions here, poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, uh, even you know the persecuted, and so on, are offered as characteristics of those who enter the kingdom of God. He's he's describing um, traits, attributes that will characterize people who enter the kingdom. Or, uh, let's just say it the way we normally say it, people who are saved. That's what he's talking about here. People who are in the kingdom. Now, he starts in verse 3 by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and let me say this too before I even get into that. And, and this is the main one I'm going to deal with tonight. Just um, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. In fact, uh, I, want, I want to talk for just a second about this word blessed, blessed, and then get into the, uh, that particular attribute. Um, the word blessed is a Greek word for happy. Happy. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying here. Sometimes we, we kind of... Uh, uh, we have a tendency to complicate things by, you know, if, it, if, it's, if, if it's coming from the Bible or if it's the Lord speaking, then, um, I don't know, we, we, we think of it in, in a... I mean, he's speaking to us in a way that we can understand, but we tend to try to lift it up out of our realm of understanding, make it something that we can't necessarily identify with. What the Lord is saying is, essentially, this is the only true road to happiness. This is the only real happiness. Because the implication is that those who are not poor in spirit, those who do not mourn here, those who are not meek, those who do not hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are not merciful, those who are not pure in heart and peacemakers and so on, even persecuted here, are not truly happy. Happy. Now, they may have some kind of... uh, Artificial, uh, false, temporary happiness um, that uh, sinful things can bring, 
like, like I mentioned with Moses, you know, he rejected that idea, the pleasures of sin for a season that would only last for a, a temporary time. Uh, and he tro- chose true happiness, identifying with the people of God, suffering affliction with the people of God for the reward that lay ahead, which is where the true happiness is, where the true treasure is. And so Jesus says this is true of all uh, of those who enter the kingdom. Your reward in heaven is great. So you, regardless of circumstances, have every reason to be truly happy. Truly happy. Truly blessed. Happy. Now, I challenge you to do this. Because again, that's what the word means. Read it with that word. It'll help shed a little bit different light on it. Not that there's anything wrong with the word blessed. There's not. It's just sometimes we, we, uh, may assign a little different meaning to it. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I don't know if anything that, you know, ought to make Christians more happy than the idea of being filled with the righteousness of God and seeing God, experiencing His mercy, happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you've ever heard the term uh, hedonism, um, it's, it's a philosophical term, but it, 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 it's just the idea behind it is just pursuing pleasure, pursuing happiness. And, and it's usually, when we talk about hedonism, it's usually used in a derogatory sense um, because we, we usually have in mind what we were just saying uh, Moses refused to do. Usually when you talk about hedonism, you're talking about someone seeking the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, a worldly person going after happiness in this world. But here's the thing. Seeking happiness, or we could even use the term pleasure, but I say happiness because happy is the word used here. Seeking happiness is not wrong. So, hedonism is not necessarily wrong. The question is, where are you looking to find happiness? Where are you, what is it that gives you pleasure? Now, seeking pleasure is not bad if you're, if the Lord is your pleasure. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart, for example. I say that because I think exactly what Jesus is telling us to do is what we naturally do, seek happiness. But He's giving us the right direction. He's saying you've got to have the right object. And you don't do that naturally. You, 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 you have a natural desire to want to be happy, but you go after the wrong things to meet that desire uh, and because of sin, because of indwelling sin. Let me read a, a quote here that I think says this so well. 
<clears throat> the idea that all men seek happiness. I mean, this is the motive, as this writer says, behind everything that we do. Uh, the writer here is, is, a, is a philosopher, Blaise Pascal. He was Christian. Here's the quote. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. In other words, that's their goal. No, no, however, however they decide to get there, every man seeks happiness. That's every man's goal, any woman's goal. And he goes on. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. That's quite a statement. He's saying every decision you make is motivated by your desire to be happy. This, he goes on, this is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. That's true. I've talked to people contemplating suicide. I've talked to people that went through with it. They thought uh, that was the better option. They did it because they were seeking happiness. It's the motive of every action of every man. But suicide and many, many, many other things you could name are the wrong place to find it. The only right place is in the Lord. And as Jesus presents here in His His kingdom, like Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's primary. Seek that first. So, in verse 3 again, here's the first characteristic. And this one uh, sums up all of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, he's speaking here of poverty of spirit. Happy, and and that sounds like uh, a contradiction, doesn't it? Sounds like an oxymoron. Happy are the poor in spirit. And so does verse 4. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the poor in spirit, those who uh, experience poverty of spirit. What's he, what's he mean there? And then the promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the suggestion is if you're, if you're poverty-stricken spiritually here, you've got the reward of heaven before you. You're going to inherit the kingdom. So what's he talking about? Well, I think he's, he's talking about, I would say it this way, he's talking about an emptying of self. An emptying of self, poor in spirit. One way to think of it would be like the, the opposite of pride, where you would be, um, in your own estimation, you would be rich in spirit. You would be exalted 
in spirit. Or, let's say it this way, because the word poor suggests emptiness, right? I mean, or, you know, because if you're poor, you're, you're bankrupt, you have no money, the bank account's empty. <laughs> so, so, uh, so let's think, or at least it does, there's not enough resources there. So let's think of it this way. The opposite would be full. So, Jesus is saying you're happy if you're poor in spirit, that is, empty of self, as opposed to being full of self. And those who are full of self are not blessed, are not truly happy. They may appear to be, but they don't have real reward because they don't have the kingdom of heaven. I want to, uh, another quote here because I want to, I was going to use this. I'm going to have to go through this kind of, uh, kind of quickly here though, with the remaining time that we have left. Um, so I'll just kind of give these to you. I probably won't say much about them, but, but this is, uh, <clears throat> four things here that, uh, D. Martin Lloyd Jones, I was, I was looking at this, thought this, this was good, just insightful. Four things that he's, he's, uh, suggesting, uh, are, are true of this passage. In other words, how they apply. The first one is this. And, and, and what we're talking about here, again, is the, the Beatitudes. And not only the Beatitudes, but the whole Sermon on the Mount. The whole, everything Jesus describes as He goes through here. Um, he's talking about the blessedness of those who uh, inherit the kingdom and the reality of the kingdom. So, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests this. Number one, all Christians are to be like this. All Christians are to be like this. So, so think about that with the Beatitudes. Poor in spirit mournful here, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart. All Christians are to be like this. Secondly, all Christians are meant to manifest all of these characteristics. Jesus is not saying that, you know, some people in the kingdom are poor in spirit. Some people are full of themselves, but they're meek. That wouldn't make sense, would it? Or they're pure in, pure in heart, even though they don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's not saying some hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some are peacemakers. Some are poor in spirit. It's not like, it's not like the, the gifts that are listed in Corinthians 12. Some have gifts of uh, miracles like we talked about this morning, healings, whatever. Some have gifts of help. Some are good at administration, right? Some are good servants. It's not like that where everybody's got uh, uh, a different type of gift. All Christians should manifest all of these characteristics. Third, None of these descriptions refers to what we may call a natural tendency. Each one of them is wholly a disposition 
which is produced by grace alone and the operation of the Holy Spirit upon us. Now, that's, that's further confirmation, if, if, if Martin Lloyd-Jones is right, and I think he is, that's further confirmation that what we're talking about here, what Jesus is describing, is people that are born again. Because uh, naturally, apart from Christ, there's no poorness of spirit. In fact, that's exactly what we are pre-salvation. is full of ourselves. Full of self. We're not meek. We don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't, uh, we're not merciful. We're certainly not pure in heart. We're not peacemakers. None of these descriptions refers to what we may call a natural tendency. Each one of them is wholly a disposition which is produced by grace alone and the operation of the Holy Spirit upon us. And I'll give you one last one here. He says, These descriptions indicate clearly the essential, utter difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. This is not just a description of what man does. The real point is the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. And John MacArthur says it this way, it's not just a description of what man does, it's a description of what man is. Or, specifically, for clarification, what a man in the kingdom of God is. A man or a woman in the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. Meek. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Merciful. Pure in heart. Now, does any of that, and we've kind of already made this point by saying they're not a natural tendency, but does any of that sound like you before salvation? Does any of that sound like what the world goes after? The world around us goes after? Are non-Christians full of themselves or are they... Poverty-stricken, you know, spiritually speaking. Empty of self. Are they meek or prideful? Do they hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or do they seek the pleasures of this world? Are they merciful or selfish? Are they pure in heart or evil? So there's a, there's a, a distinction made here between... People in the kingdom and people outside of the kingdom. Those who possess true happiness and those who do not. This is what children of the kingdom look like. And again, I said earlier on, verse 3 kind of sums up the whole thing. Because for all of these things, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, meek, mourn, suffer persecution. All of those things require poverty of spirit. Emptying of self. So the heirs of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, the idea is empty of self, 
full of Christ. Seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness rather than selfish temporal pleasure. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what they look like. This is who they are, (laughs) Jesus is saying. One last passage before we quit. I want to just go to a book of James, verse 4, that I think says pretty much the same thing in just a little different way. Verse, um, let me see where I want to start here. Verse 6, James 4, 6. But He gives more grace, therefore He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, and that's a quote from Proverbs three thirty four. Therefore, submit to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Empty yourself of self. He says, and and God will lift you up. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Let me say something there real quick. That's a tough one, isn't it? He gives grace to the humble. I mean, theologically, that that can create... uh, seem to create a difficulty. Because it sounds like, okay, if I'm humble, if I'm humble, God gives me grace. So, I have merited grace. And we know that by definition, grace is what? Unmerited. Unmerited favor. But that's what he says, isn't it? He gives grace to the humble. It's, it's an exhortation to be humble. Be humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So why is that, why is that not a work? Why is, why is receiving grace unmerited favor? Or you can just say favor. I mean, even if you say it that way, you're still describing the same thing. It sounds as though you're getting something for something. He gives favor to the humble. Why is that not works? And another subject kind of, but I could raise the same question about Abraham. He believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. (laughs) 
Why is faith not a work? It sounds as though here grace is the wage for being humble. But here's the deal, and this is, this is true of faith. So keep this in mind as far as Abraham's case. This is in, in all of us, but I mean, uh, as the Scripture speaks of Abraham. This is true of faith, and this is true of humility. Humble. God gives grace to the humble. If it is, as, as I suggested, if it is a total, if it is an emptying of self so that there is no, absolutely no reliance on self, then it's impossible that it would be a, be a work. Abraham believed God, that is, he had faith. That's the word, faith, believed. Abraham believed God, and it was counted him as righteousness. So did, he, did Abraham produce something there? Did he do a work? Is faith a work? He, he believed God, and therefore God paid him righteousness? No, because faith by its very nature is total and utter dependence upon God. God counted it to him for righteousness because, exactly for that reason, because he was not relying on self at all. He was not producing anything. That's what faith is. Faith is casting all of your confidence on some, someone else, someone outside of you, something else, the righteousness of Christ. And so it's accounted to him for righteousness. And I think the same is true of humility. God gives grace to the humble. It's not a wage because humility by its very nature is an emptying of self. Happy are the poor. In spirit. See, they don't have anything to offer. The poor, you don't have anything to offer God. And they shall what? They'll have the kingdom of God. The meek will inherit the land. The pure in heart will see God. It's not a reward for works which would be a reliance upon self or confidence in self doing something so that God gives you something. No, it's, it, it is because there is no work there. The poor in spirit, they have nothing to offer God. So, th- that phrase kind of characterizes the whole thing. Those who are in the kingdom are poor in spirit. They have nothing of worth to present to God. And Jesus says, that's true happiness. You've got nothing to give. You're just in the position to receive. And you will. If that describes you, <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't give anything. You have, you have nothing to offer God. Then he's saying that's that's exactly where he wants you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. As we pray, um, a couple of y'all mind coming again uh, to prepare to 
pass the uh, bread and juice. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. and Lord, uh, just grateful for these truths, these promises. As we have been brought into Your kingdom by Your power, we are assured that the promises pertain to us. They're ours. We shall inherit the kingdom. And Lord, it's not because of us. not because of anything in us. We are poor, spiritually speaking. We may have much monetarily, but in spirit we have, we have nothing of value. We are totally dependent upon You, Your grace, the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we ask now for Your blessing upon the bread and the juice as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And please enable us to truly do this in remembrance of what we just talked about, Your grace. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That He lived that He died laying down His life for His people, rose again and and has given us the assurance that will raise us as well. It's all of grace for Your glory. We thank You in Jesus' name. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.